Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback. We look through the dizzying highs, the terrifying lows, and the creamy middles of The Simpsons seasons 1 to 12 through random episode generation. I'm your host, Tyler Crane. Join with me. Um, gave him a bit of retool, and he wasn't hiatus for quite a long time now. But you know, um, no more controversies. They've got a whole new cast. Uh, hopefully, we can get the show back on and you know get that sweet, sweet uh, commission money. Uh, Danny Bursal is back. Danny, how the hell are you? I'm good. It's It's been a while since I was on. It really yeah. has, yeah. Um, through sort of commitment changes and scheduling changes and that. I like seeing my folks up in Sheffield and uh, Danny is definitely one of them. And I try and get, you know, the, the favourite sort of guests on, the, you know, sturdy guests on. And I'm glad to have him back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've moved twice since last time I was on a podcast here. The episode we're going to be reviewing today is Simpsons Tide from Season 9, Episode 19, directed by Milton Gray. Written by Joshua Sternin and Jennifer Vintimiglia, with the, with the original air date being March the 29th, 1998, and the couch gag being one i completely forgotten about, and even re-watching it, I was thinking, what the actual fuck is this, but um, apparently it's a parody of Rocky and Bullwinkle in the type of animation, Danny. Now, did this sort of take you back as much as it did me because I'd completely forgotten about this. Yeah, I'd forgotten about this one too. When I first saw it, I knew it had to have been a reference to classic animation. My my, my first assumption was Fantasia. Maybe it had that kind of vibe. But oh, with the colours and that. I, yeah, yeah, but I've seen very little of Rocky and Bullwinkle, the original series, so I did not catch the reference. And we open up with, well, uh, pretty much what it is, it is a dream sequence. Um, we see a Planet of the Apes type, but it's a core of donuts there. And Homer's sitting and standing on trial there, um, getting framed for essentially murder and eating of the donut people. And um, I will say, I've only watched uh, Planet of the Apes oh, maybe three times, but even from his initial looks where he's like scowling at the crowd, um, this is like match for match in how it's animated. So I really enjoyed it. And with each little donut, like with the eclairs, they've got a little French moustache and that. And you can hear all the jelly like slopping about and that. So, for like a non sector brief mad uh, dream opening, there was a lot of detail into this, Danny. What did you think of the little sequence here? I mean, this episode has a lot of references to 50s and 60s pop culture, because this was back when that was the main thing of the Simpsons, because that's obviously when the writers grew up and everything. And also, they just they never skip on the details here. Like, everything about how this is done, from the music to uh, even just the um, establishing shots. Well, it very much captures that vibe of, like, uh, 60s dramatic sci-fi. Homer's a terrible person to be the accused as well. He doesn't even help out his um, lawyer. He starts eating him halfway through there, and so he's just sentenced to a uh, death by donut, so it seems. So a big, sort of sarlacc-looking, um, rancor-looking donut comes and ends up waking up. This is a dream from This isn't even a nightmare. Like, he's... And, God help me, um, Sash or common uh, contributor and... Uh, recurring guest here, told me all the kinks about being eaten, but thanks to her, they're moaning a Kirby game and getting really into that for about half an hour, Danny. These are not details that I knew about. <laughs> yeah, um, but apparently Homer's in that kind of thing. He finds it as a dream. He's slobbering at the mouth, but he wakes up. Um, and then Carl's like, oh, you're going to miss your coffee break. Oh, well, I earned it, so... Uh, yeah, typical Homer being lazy at his job type joke there. But we have a sort of POV shot from Homer looking into the donut box, dribbles on what would be the camera, but it turns out it's just the last donut. And Lenny and Carl aren't too pleased, but sort of, you know, to help share and to sort of um, not be at the um, behest of his foes there, he decides to grow the donut in his own way by a nuclear radiation, like some sort of... Um, I don't know, Marvel superhero, some sort of superhero, who, you know, includes some sort of nuclear radiation, some freak accident, it will gain a growth, it will gain some sort of a superpower. And I then, mean, yeah. And then we get a, a return of the big hand man from the uh, Last Temptation of Homer episode. Yeah, with Mindy. I completely forgot this guy gets a second appearance, and I kind of wish he wasn't there. But because... they stopped telling jokes about his, uh, his big hand, though, Danny. Exactly, but how does how like if anyone actually remembers this guy, then like yeah, he's the big hand guy. That's his only thing. Why are they doing this like a surprise? And if you forgot about him, then they're just repeating a joke they've done before, and they've done better. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't think it was. 
obviously it's a very similar joke to what had happened uh, before, but I, don't, I think just for to fill in a joke, uh, at least it was slightly different. At least it wasn't sort of reading from his hand, but I do get your point there. You are right. And what do you know, 10 minutes later, the whole plant's on fire, and they end up finding the culprit, which is Homer. Burns is not too happy. Um, I mean, what do you think about it now then, Danny? Because Chernobyl, um, might date the podcast now, but Chernobyl is a very critically acclaimed uh, drama series now, and a lot of the scenes are quite harrowing. It's very brutal and realistic now. I mean, I mean, looking at jokes about um, power plants now, I mean, would you be able to do this nowadays? Well, yes, considering like this episode was still made after the real Chernobyl events. Mm-hmm. Clearly that wasn't an effect, and they told a thousand jokes like this in Time of the Simpsons, even including things like Homer just apparently being immune to radiation at this point. The fact that he can just eat a radioactive donut and suffer no consequences. But Burns asks him, no, oh, how could you do such a thing? Who are you? And the moment just goes, oh, it's my, uh, it's my first day. Note as well, he does a little sort of, like, shy child twiddle with his um, nuclear radiated mini donut there. It's really cute. But um, Burns realises, like, oh, well, as long as I can't remember you, I guess you can have done it. Carry on, but... Smithers, the snitch, says, oh, no, this is, um, you know, Homer Simpson set to 7G. Doesn't give him a name, though. You know, um, I'm a big fan of, you know, the all oh, this chair moistener, this gastropod from the Doesn't hit him with any of them, but he does dob him in it. And so Burns says, oh, how did you think you could lie to me? It's my first day. Oh, well, did, ooh, ooh. and I love a good Burns outburst there. I think he was peak doing that in your very early scenes, but I love a good outraged Burns, and he sacks him uh, on the spot there as well. Yeah, Dan, Dan Castellana's delivery of It's My First Day, combined with the innocent twiddling of the donut, is just a perfect moment for Homer and Burns. Sir, we found the problem. Some idiot threw this in the reactor core. Success! You did this? How could you be so irresponsible? It's my first day. Since I'd never seen you before, maybe it is your first day. Very well, carry on. Ah, uh, sir, that's Homer Simpson. He's been working here for ten years. Oh, really? Why did you think you could lie to me? It's my first day. Well, why didn't you say, go, whoa, you're fired. Homer's uh, sat in his PJs on the couch, just watching telly, uh, as you do. And he ends up seeing a commercial for the Naval Reserves. Now, um, doing my own sort of research here and listening to other um, fine Simpsons podcasts that are out there to enjoy, folks. Um, turns out that... In the 90s, this sort of advert is encompassing the fact that, you know, well, there's no war. All the wars that have, fought, have been fought now, Danny, you know, um, the war on terror is, you know, not going to happen for another couple of years now. Um, the Afghanistan war is sort of non-existent. You know, Saddam's just sort of like, oh, he's not going to really do anything, just sort of shake his fist a bit and spout it on the media. So that's why you get the naval reserves, you know, saying, oh, you're going to be just drunk off your ass. And then we have to work, you know, one day of... Uh, a whole month, um, so that's what the whole subtext is of this. Uh, before, um, I mean, what do you think of the? Well, I mean, the whole time period of like, oh, we're never gonna go to war again. Yeah, the late nineties was quite a great period, at least for the United States. Of war was not the major thing anymore, but in fact, it was. Uh, I mean, granted, I wasn't there for half of it, it, but it was a relatively peaceful time. No war, good economy, everything was going well. And this wouldn't be the only time Simpson satirised the Navy. You know, I think later on when Bart joins a, bar- a boy band with Yvonne et Niage. Seems to have just been a recurring thing for the Simpsons to... Spe- specifically the Navy for some reason. And all of the uh, propaganda and subliminal advertising they would do for that. Now, um, I'm, prob- I'm going to maybe shock your mind here as well, Danny. But um, that episode was released in late 2000. Do you know what happens uh, in that scene, or a scene right at the end of that episode, the boy band episode? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a clue. It's linked it's, with war slightly. If I rem- it's been a while since I watched episode. If I remember, what weren't uh, uh, weren't there jets about to bomb the ship they were on? Yes. Uh, basically, it all goes to shit, and uh, LT Smash um, decides like, oh well, if I can't get my own plan, then I'm gonna blow something up myself. And the missile goes off, and it heads to the um, the Mad uh, Magazine uh, quarters oh. in New York, and a missile attacks a very tall building. 
Now, it's not a specific tall building, but, I mean, it's just, obviously, they they had no idea what would have happened in 2001 later, uh, like, a whole year ago, but it's just a bit, um, it's, it's just a bit awkward and a bit eerie, sort of looking at it now. This, oh, is, this is not like a Simpsons predicted it, but you just think, like, uh, there's nothing they could have done, but it just seems a bit awkward and a bit uh, eerie now. Hold on, I need to look at when that episode came out, because that is a, oh, wow. So, 25th of February, 2001. Oh, so it is in 2000. Oh, my God. It's even closer than we thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I, like, so, the, the uh, Homer vs. New York episode got banned because the Twin Towers are actually in it. But that episode never got banned. And that features a New York building getting blown up. Yeah. And yet, somehow, that one's fine. But just an episode with the appearance of the Twin Towers, that's the controversial one. Yeah, well, I guess the FCC is a messy beast. But well, we have Homer, he's ready to sign up to the Naval Reserve. And, um, you know, the fellas are saying, you know, sign up and it's season, we'll get you into training straight away. And Homer's busy sort of reading the small prints as you would do. And he says, oh, there's a, there's a question scratched out here. And the recruitment officer goes, oh, yeah, uh, because of the recent administration, uh, we are no longer allowed to answer that question. Oh, no, uh, I can make it out. Are you home? Oh, God, no, please, I can be fired. Don't actually answer that. And then he becomes so panicked that the recruitment officer runs off so much that Homer even thinks he's gay. I mean, in terms of the topic of, of you know, sexuality in the workplace, quite a uh, quite a, a conundrum on whether or not it should actually become a discussion. Even Not even just in the military, but of all type of workplaces, because you never know who is going to judge you for that type of thing. Mm. And it, it does make you feel that... Um, uh, this like I never really realized with this episode how many '90s references there are. Not even in terms of specific events, but kind of the culture around the time, like with the whole uh, "don't ask, don't tell" uh, changing. But also, we're kind of uh, glossing over the big scene stealer of this, which is the return of Just Stamp the Ticket Man, as the, yes, the you're naval, absolutely right, as the naval reserve recruiter. Just this is pro- like this is probably the most screen time he's ever gotten in a single episode before. Well, I feel like it's um. And we also see, like, um, you know, the droopy drawers sounding fairly new. Let's get him uh, with the dental plan. I think it's more the animators just trying to find people within the character pack. And um, he just seems to sort of fit the bill, or at least it's a different face. So I think it might be down to that sort of... Uh, yeah, but it's always fun to take these, like, incredibly minor characters. Not even tertiary characters. Like, whatever the fourth version of tertiary would be. Yeah. And just seeing, see if like you can actually piece together a continuing story for them because this is the one outlier. Because every other time this model has been used, it's always a very similar type character that uses it. Someone very sarcastic, dry-witted, even a bit aggressive. Yeah, punching um, that fella in the face. Yeah. Punching Homer in the face for claiming he has uh, sexual issues with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I did forget about. You like you have trouble satisfying your wife. Wow. Homer and Marge are busy talking about, you know, Marge does have her skepticism, but Marge is saying, uh, but Homer is saying that, you know, oh, you know, war is just as common as, you know, turning on your lamp or turning off your lamp. And Homer, for the whole of the time he's been in Evergreen Terrace, he's never had a clapper. So he just decides, oh, this lamp is now a clapper, but he's not having it, but he's too stubborn to stop. Marge even says, oh, no, that's, we don't have a clapper. Sorry, Marge, I'm clapping. And it's just, I don't know about your dad, Danny, but the, I guess this is one of my dad's traits to a T. Like, if something's not going your way, but, like, you're too stubborn to stop, it's like... And then you just sort of... And then, favourite word here with Danny and uh, some of our folks affiliated with the Simpsons, this uh, podcast, he yeets it out the window, <laughs> smashes... No, no. He goes from calm to aggressive to just... No, no. And he just... Uh, that's it. What do you, have you got any sort of stubborn dad energy about you? Or no idea... <laughs> <laughs> like that or uh, anyone about that life I don't know anyone who I would describe having stubborn dad energy uh, yeah but it's just your standard dumb homer joke response with violence uh, nothing too special about it but it's, it's, it's fine what if you get called into combat not to worry honey we live in a highly technological age where fighting a war is as simple as turning off a light we don't have a clapper Sorry, can't hear you, Marge. I'm clapping. Nighty-night. We have Homer in the bar. Um, he's talking about his own plans, you know, to see the world and you know, to serve your country and do what's right. 
and so much so that uh, Barney feels inspired by this. So, you know, he's in two, whereas Mode doesn't want to lose his two best customers, so he's in two. And Apu, quite rightly, I'm stating what the writers say, you know, oh, I've got nothing to do with this, and it goes against all my religion, but what the hell, I'm in two, you know, because it's also good to have a couple of uh, secondary characters in to help load up the jokes uh, quite in a metatextual sense. So, um... I don't know, Danny. Now, I felt this was a bit Family Guy, how we end the first act, because Homer literally goes, Homer literally goes, oh, it's just like the deer hunter. And then there's a deer hunter reference. Like, obviously, that's... Um, it became a massive Family Guy um, milking it sort of thing. But what did you think of this? Now, this also adds to a most shady schemes as well. Well, yeah, that's because it's, it's a recurring thing in The Simpsons is the shady backdoor schemes of Moe's Tavern. You know, like when he has uh, the pandas. Or when Andale, he, Andale. <laughs> or with it's a whale. All right, they figured us out. Now get him back to SeaWorld. <laughs> so here, this is probably like the best scene. And I've said it, I just said it to you when I watched the episode again. And uh, I spent so long focusing on wondering why Krusty is there that I never really noticed in the background with all the Vietnamese criminals. Why is Legs there? Yeah, he's a legitimate businessman for the legitimate businessman social circle. I know they had the f- initial fight with the Yakuza, with the pretzel business, but um, maybe they smooth things over. They've got packs going now, and they're um, getting into the dirty business of uh, Russian roulette. Also, uh, I find... I usually love episodes where Homer gets his friends involved in the shenanigans... But in this case, I don't think they use them to the best of their advantage. Like, Mo and Barney end up playing somewhat of a role. Well, they get some good jokes in there, but Apu, he you doesn't don't do anything in this really episode. Do that. No, we both do writing bit by bit, or we try to anyway. Um, what would you do for Apu, then, even if you give him, like, two sort of mid-scenes, two sort of smaller scenes? What would you do with him? I just want to put him into the episode. It's already quite a compact episode as it is. It feels very fast-paced, and there are certain... Uh, Story issues, I guess, because it's not an episode that fully focuses on plot or jokes. Uh, and it tries to go for a half and half between the two. But I think that ends up making both of them suffer. So in this episode, there are like a lot of setups and callbacks to other elements. Uh, but I just don't think it plays off that well. You know, like with Bart's subplot that we'll get to in a bit. Homer says goodbye to his family. You know, he promises Bart, you know, a great massive torpedo. Even if he's bad, you know, even if he's good, he'll get it regardless. So he's off on the bus. The touchdown... And we get our uh, early, early type here. Alright, you thumb-sucking worms. Let's get one thing straight. Your mamas ain't here to help you. Mine is. Uh. Obviously, he fits the role. doesn't do anything sort of special. But you have the tertiary characters in Homer play off of him as well, which is where a lot of the humour comes from. Um... Even a bit I completely forget about each time I watch this, you know, saying, all right, you know, you windbags, you know, your mom's not going to pat your belly anymore. And then Barney just goes, oh, here's my mom. And then it's bang on exact, well, it is his mother. Yeah, he is his mother's son. It's just that typical thing, especially in The Simpsons, of it's just that character in a wig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll just have a little look at it now. And yeah, um, he doesn't have to go on Jeremy Kyle, does he? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, there are plenty of issues Barney has that can get him on a show like that. But they're busy shaving the hair there, and, you know, Homer's got the sort of typical hippie in a Vietnam for, you know, no way, man, my hair's my identity, and gets it locked up. He's, oh, I'm a freak, all, um, all two uh, lines of hair for him. And they're busy, get, busy uh, getting settled here, and Homer's, you know, getting his 50s pin-up, but it's only of Marge. And then um, Barney, you know... I guess for this episode, he's a proud man, shall we say. And he's uh, he's got a pin-up here of Homer. I mean, wh- Raises what? a lot of questions here. Yeah. I mean, what did you think of this? Because obviously, I guess the joke at the time would be like, oh, is Barney a bit gay? You know, all Navy. And the Navy has the sort of gay, stereotypical joke connotation there as well. But, I mean, for a one-off, I just thought like, oh, it's a bit bizarre and it's a bit funny. But, I mean, what did you, what did you think, Danny? Uh, just one... Where did he get that photo? <laughs> right, now, obviously Photoshop would have been very primitive, but is this uh, through the blinds and you've seen Homer do this, or is this a good Photoshop job? No, I just have to believe that's a real photo that Homer dressed up in as once. Barney decided to not only wear it, but then and, and makes the noise, suggesting to Homer, and he goes, mm. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, like, like they're just two lads in a pub saying, oh, check a load of that person out. <laughs> but he's saying it to the person in the photo. Barney, um, I will say, I do like the little noises Barney does, even throughout um, a lot of the episodes. And it's just like, oh. It's just always a bit confused or a bit like... Um, is or just a bit happy it is uh it is fantastic but they're in a line they're all getting inspected you know tuck that shirt in shine those shoes and homer he's only gone and lost his hat you know poor bugger you know the seagulls took it but he has to resort to the foam dome itself and um now i might insert a little noise in here for um favorite line of the show but i can't think of any other good ones i might do later on but for me danny this is my line in the show Shine those shoes, mister. Oh, for the love of... Uh, a seagull took my sailor hat. All right, Simpson. I don't like you, and you don't like me. I like you. Um, all right. You like me, but I don't like you. Maybe you would like me if you got to know me. What, are you a comedian? Well, I'm no Margaret Cho, but I do a pretty fair Columbo impression. Ah, uh, one more thing. <coughs> Why don't you get a glass of water? Just perfect. Now, you can say what you want about Hung on the Whole for this episode, but I always enjoy it when he's like quite childlike and yeah, cute same. and innocent. It, uh, yeah, innocent Homer is always going to be best Homer. Especially uh, when you put him up against angry military types. Like It's like when you think of like uh, Homer's enemy, which seems to be like one of the best episodes. The episode only works because Homer is ignorantly innocent for a lot of his flaws there. Whenever he's like actively being mean as the famous jerkass Homer is, that's that's often when the humour doesn't work or where he doesn't work as a character. We have a couple of scenes where Homer's trying his best with all these sort of new army techniques and methods. You know, he's doing a sheep knot and a dip knot and initially the instructor's quite impressed, but you know, just tie the other end to the goddamn ship and I, I, sw I swear I keep forgetting about all sorts of scenes from this whole episode, but I thought it was just like, you know, typical Titanic ship dives and it just goes into the deep blue sea. But no, it cuts to a fucking waterfall. Yeah, like, and, suddenly and you can hear screams because there are clearly people on that ship. Yeah. Now, um, I won't pimp the podcast because they've got a big enough Patreon anyway and there you are. But um, another Major Simpsons podcast noted the fact that there's a lot of death tolls in this episode here, Danny. Now, generally when I'm watching comedy and particularly with the Simpsons that we know his character changed and becoming more of a like you say jackass Homer as they put in all the forums um do you tend to think of like oh the protagonist is actually a terrible person a lot or do you actually think of like the consequences that are attached to like sitcoms or animated sitcoms uh no especially not in the case of this joke where it is clearly going for more of the uh, uh stretched physics logic that cartoons can go with you know like if you think Think about it in actual full sense. You go, okay, why is there a Navy base right next to a waterfall where there's nowhere to go? You know, boats can't float that way. Hey, all that nonsense. Well, if you try to make this realistic, then nothing about how the scene works. So you just have to believe, okay, hey, there's a waterfall there. If I can believe that, I can believe nobody would die on that ship. Homer faces no consequences. It's cartoon logic. And we have Homer successfully uh, graduating from Navy military school. This is where we introduce the B-pot. Now, it's not really the strongest B-pot here, but I guess we'll just talk about it now since it is ever so brief. Um, what do you think of it, Danny? Oh, it's so boring. This B-pot, I just... There are no good jokes in here. It's just kind of a setup for a weak conclusion to Homer's storyline later on. Uh, I... I I can't I honestly can't think of anything necessarily like it's not a horrible uh, B plot or anything because it is very short, but it it just has nothing of value in it. Like what you were saying earlier about what what could a poo do, and like if if you do have to have him in the episode, cut this B plot, have a poo do something. So you'd have it completely A plot focused then. Oh yeah, like the, I think it can survive on that. Just Homer joining the navy. Now you say boring. I would say um, inoffensive. Mm -hmm. Or I'd say, you know, it's it's functionary, it's there for a reason, as much as it is sort of a flat reason. But I mean, we'll get into it in a few moments' time, but I got a lot of 
nostalgia and memories of you know like trends and fads in school, yeah. like um, Millhouse and Bart here with the earring. Millhouse um, comes in with a big stud in him, and um, obviously ninety is different time. But Bart saying you know, oh Millhouse, my mum wears an earring. Do you want to be? What do you think of my mum? You know, she's not cool. No, I think she's hot. That's that's the closest this plot gets to that a good joke. Raise a smile out of you, surely. Yes, just like how excitedly he says it, then instantly regrets it. Like it was just pure impulse to His say that. His real feelings got in the way there. It's the it's the closest. Look, even like Bart's face there, in just pure shock. It's it's the only good joke in this plot line for me. We'll make this as uh, short as we can, but I thought I might as well bring it up now, just because I've got a little story. Um, did you have any um, fit mums mates growing up? <laughs> This will be the only time we'll bring it up, folks, because it's the most necessary time. I'm going to say no. Actually, would that be worse? I only ever really had it with... Um, I grew up mm, I was still in a small village for most of my life, but um, it's only about five of us that hung out. And unfortunately, one of those lads, thankfully it wasn't me, one of um, those lads just happened to be a mum that was like early 30s, so like automatically, oh, she is the fit mum. In all fairness, you know, um, good old Colleen, she was very attractive uh, for a woman in her early 30s. It's like that classic in-between this joke where it's, you know, oh, it's the, um, that 28-year-old science teacher but everyone thinks they're fit. And um, Will just says, oh, just because she's in her 30s doesn't mean you just want to fuck her. Like, it's that horrible, um, you're always going to get if you've got a slightly attractive mum, you know, the teasing's just going to be there. So it did bring me back those... Uh, Innocent yet um, horny times. <laughs> but Millhouse goes on to the bus and all the kids notice, you know, he's wearing an earring and he suddenly becomes the coolest cat at school. But, you know, Bart doesn't want to be upstaged, not by that pencil neck geek Millhouse, you know. Hey, if you think that's cool, watch this. And he does the classic, um, do the Bartman, I guess I'll play do the Bartman underneath this. Uh, I guess you must have watched the music video. Yeah, but like the whole joke here is, oh, that's a dated 90s reference. Well, this episode is full of dated 90s references. So are you saying it's like a self-eating snake? Yeah, this feels very unself-aware for The Simpsons to put in a joke like this. Mm. I mean, what did you think of, I guess, Do the Bartman as a song? Because I guess for me, maybe it's a guilty pleasure, but I still think, you know, it's got a good beat. It's got the... I can't really talk about it now, but it's got the production of Michael Jackson behind it, and genuinely the animation is very flush and crisp, and it's really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, well, Brad Bird said it's the hardest he's ever worked. Oh, Brad worked on it as well. Yeah, he was the director oh, for it. Ah, oh, I did not remember that. Yeah, he said it's the hardest he's ever had to work on an, on an animated piece in the shortest amount of time as well. So, like for me, he do the Batman holds holds up, at least has value to it. Which kind of also is another thing that puts this joke into perspective. That joke doesn't hold up, but what it's making fun of does. Well, we have a uh, Millhouse and Bart just chilling with his newfangled earring. And, you know, Skinner is ever trying to be the totalitarian, saying, all right, then what sort of excuse is this? Why do you have that earring in? You can't have this earring in unless you're um, of gypsy descent there. And I'm um, not going to lie, different sort of UK culture here. I was half expecting Millhouse to go, you know, just suddenly stick on a big Irish accent and say, Ah, now I can put it down to tip for you now. Jesus, do you need the tarmac in there? Look at the earring. Sorry for uh, anyone getting briefly offended, but, you know, quarter Irish family there, so I'm going to try and play that in the courts if I do get done. Um, what did you think? I, I mean, you're not that impressed with the B-plot, so I don't know what you thought of the whatever you could call jokes here. Well, initially with this joke, I was thinking that, like, like, it, it, like, like, like you said, uh, British culture has a strange relationship with the gypsies like i know so many people who you know they're pro-immigration anti-brexit believe in diversity equality and all that still can't stand gypsies you just called out my dad there how dare you <laughs> <laughs> no but like, that's like so many british people it's it's ingrained in their dna somehow mm. although I, okay yes i was also wrong on one thing uh this is also another good joke where he mistakes it for a vampire and skinner goes but uh, they're also allowed <laughs> That's a very inclusive school, Springfield Elementary. Good for them. For a sort of mishmash this episode is, and you know, self-eating snake, as we said before, I do like a lot of the animation direction on this. Like, um, We'll get to it later, but particularly the rainy scene where they're all in their smocks and that. Mm. And I've said it many times before, I'll say it again. I like seeing characters in different outfits and different attires in there. Yeah, same, so do I. But um, we have a scene here, you think Homer's, well, Homer is putting on a 
uniform of some sort here. And you get all close-ups of his hands. It's all very well detailed and that. Sticks his hat on. And turns out it's uh, just a bit of casual roleplay there. With a, a, with a genuine sword as well, Danny there. That Homer sits on. Don't they? Don't show that reaction. I've noticed this now as well because... I hope we do Mr. Prowl, you know, over the next mm-hmm. few months. But um, I was just thinking about Marge well. likes roleplay. Yeah, Marge Mar- Mar- confirmed Marge likes roleplay. Marge likes seeing Homer in a uniform, having him be in a position of power. Sorry, we are, um, we're just scanning through this, folks, and we have he does sit on it. Thankfully, it's not um, he's not sitting on it to make the obvious joke. It's uh, gone inside him. No, thankfully, it's just um, Mar- Marge's face there. I think it went inside her by accident. <laughs> How do we do to folks? Do you enjoy Simpsons podcasts as much as this one you're listening to right here? Then go check out our friends at the 411 Folks Simpsons podcast. They review The Simpsons uh, chronologically, seasons one, two, God knows whatever season they're on now, um, with jokes, japes, accents, and a whole load of fun as well. So that's the 411 Folks at Facebook. Also, if you haven't checked our podcast out, go to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast, a British Simpsons podcast. And the same on our SoundCloud as well, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback. Now back to your regularly scheduled listening. So Homer's, um, you know, now that he's uh, a proud naval man, he can go into the VOWs and, you know, the war veteran halls for a wee pint with his old man. And they're there, and you see this one-off characters, and you think, oh, you know, missing an eye patch. Did you know uh, Tomahawk, you know, shoot it out or whatever? No, um, he was having like a margarita, and the umbrella just got stuck in there. But Abe being, you know, as selfish as ever. Yeah, well, that's nothing, you know. I was on this ship when I found out about John Kennedy's deep, dark secret there. And you do get a flashback. And you have um, JFK himself looking out onto the sea. And he um, hits him with his I am a jelly donut line. Yes, folks, Berliner is a kind of donut. Let's um, let's clear that out now instead of, you know, an actual person from Berlin. He says, you know, I ich ein Berliner, but <laughs> he's a Nazi, get him! This episode has just some great one-off grandpa lines. And between this and the one we'll get to later, I do just love his instant reaction of assuming he's a Nazi, get several of the guys to beat the crap the out, out of him. They beat the crap out of the JFK. And we're now uh, back to the B-plot. We have Bart looking through the mall and... Oh, um, you want to talk about outdated folks? Good God. Um, turns out Bart's just looking through the shops, and then there's a Starbucks, and then there's another Starbucks. Finds the ear in place, um, says, oh, could I get a stud in? Oh, you better hurry up, buddy. And it turns out it's, uh, what do you call him, the sarcastic fella? Or oh, yeah, does he got, have an actual name? I think I it might be Raphael or something. Yes. Yeah, but he's the fellow who goes, you know, oh, big, fat, sarcastic Star Trek fan. You must be a dynamite with the ladies. Fellow with the tash. He's, you know, the um, beautician, but got to get out quick, quick, kid. This is going to be a Starbucks in five minutes. And he walks out, and then in order to really ram home the joke, because, you know, that's funny, it's just all Starbucks now. I mean, you're a Starbucks fan yourself, I believe, Danny, so um, how, what, what do you think this Because to me, it's just, now it's outdated, but I'm sure at the time it was, you know, quite searing. Yeah, we kind of forget, like, how fast Starbucks took over everything. Like, this episode came out the same year Starbucks first came to the UK. Oh. Like, it's, it is still, like, relatively speaking, quite a young company, and just grew really fast overnight. So I can understand the joke at the time. Not ni- well, not sure if it works that much now. That being said, there's a Starbucks five minutes down the road from here, so... Now, um, I'm more of a... I'm not a coffee guy, but... If you're talking about chains, more of a Cafe Nero guy, I think they do the best sort of franchise, hot chocolate, uh, out of all the other places. But um, I'm going to lose that's 10 minutes down the road. We have, a lot of, we have a lot of coffee on this street. Fantastic. There's literally a Costa right underneath us right now. For people that are fans of it, uh, very quickly, um, what would be your typical Starbucks order? Uh, sugar-free caramel latte. Oh, wow. Yep. I, I, I know my, I know my like shit. That. I go there a lot. Do they spell your name right now? Yes. Oh, I mean, my name is easy to spell. It's just Danny. It's when they mishear me and give me other people's names. The worst one I've ever got is someone called me Dominium. Now, um, if you're to rewrite this joke in 2019, I don't know about you, but for me, it would have it'd be maybe a, a load of Witherspoons and a load of charity shops. We have Bart coming in with his new stud earring, and uh, Lisa hits us with... Her best line of the episode. Her best line, and what is like... 
I believe an underrated meme myself. Mm. Oh, I agree. This feels like this is one of those lines that should be used a lot more often, especially with like slacktivism and type things. So like, how rebellious in a conformist sort of way. Maybe not studying, but um, I don't know. Can you name any sort of bands or movements or types of clothing that are like? Well, I guess I don't even know myself. But what is a uh, slacktivism for those who don't know? Uh, well, slacktivism specifically is is complaining that the world needs to change and not doing anything about it yourself. Uh, in terms of something more modern, that I think would be in reference to uh, Lisa's how rebellious in a conformist sort of way. Joker. Everyone, everyone likes to refer to that movie as yeah, this this movie shows what's wrong with society. It's different. It's being being out there. It's underground. It's a billion dollar movie. Daddy, do you mean to say that you argue about society yet you partake in it? <laughs> you are very intelligent. Yeah, sorry, folks. Uh, the incel side of me just came out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what came over me. Now Bart's, you know, about to reap the benefits of being cool with his new ear in there, but it turns out. You know, every fucker's got an earring now. You have Ralph, of course, who's fucking studded himself to his shirt now, giving him two hours. Now, we're going to keep going off on tangent, folks, because, um, hell, there's a lot of nostalgia and things we can talk about here, but walk me through, if you can, Danny. Did you ha- did your school have any particular trends or nostalgic elements to it? I mean, apart from, you know, your typical oh, Pokemon, Beyblade, blah, 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 and that. Any kind of clothing or, like, things you would do? Walk me through it. No, you just kind of shrugged off the things that did become trends. Oh, people. sorry. The Beyblades and the Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, those were popular for a little bit. I remember as soon as, like, I was the one that was the latest to Beyblade. As soon as that, uh, as soon as that, uh, as soon as I got a Beyblade, school said it's banned because one kid cut his eye with it. Oh, fuck's sake. How close do you need to be? You don't need to I let know. it rip up to your socket. Like, come on. Now, for me, I'll just keep it brief. Um, I think more for my nostalgia, slightly obvious games and stuff. Has to be um, certain lines of clothing. So, um, oh my god, I swear every girl had like a Paul's boutique bag. And also, um, for the lads, I guess it would be um, K Swiss trainers. Do you remember them, Danny? No. Now, K Swiss, um, it was essentially Adidas, but they more focused on changing the, uh, the colours of the three lines. And the very cool kids have like interchangeable colours of um, lines. And everyone was gunning for like the interchangeable blue and reds. Like a white base uh, sneaker. I know. I remember in a year nine, in terms of like fashion, uh, every girl dyed her hair red. That was a thing that happened. Yeah, no, we had that as well. Yeah, and did you also have gola bags? Yeah, yeah, those were like. Uh, that's not a gola bag. Don't worry. Oh no, I'm I'm just looking around here as well, folks, because I'm in uh, Danny's digs for this recording, and um, I swear every lad in oh nine and oh ten had um JD sports bag, and I came here with a JD sports bag <laughs> carrying this uh, setup here, so um. I can't really judge myself that now. But we have um, all the boys, all the naval reserves about to um, set off. Now, this is what I was uh, previously um, referencing here, folks. Um, It's like a great... um, There's a good submarine film with Wesley Snipes. Um, I can't think of what it is exactly. But um, it's. I know they reference little bits and pieces um, throughout it here. But I like the intensity and the darkness of colours when you reach this part and then underground... It's not quite Das Boot, but I love all the animation and the colours that the um, the designers have used here. And I just like seeing everyone in a matching uniform and in alternate attires there. Uh, what do you think about yourself, Danny? Uh, I agree. I do like it when the Simpsons do go off-model, I suppose, would be the, the, the term to use here, where they change out the, of their outfits. I, for the life of me, I can't think of what Wesley Snipes film you're on about. For me, I think like the big reference for this film is, uh, for this episode is Hunt for Red October. Oh God, yeah! Oh, that that's the bigger um, submarine film. You're absolutely right with a uh, with Sean Connery himself. Yeah, with the whole uh, defecting to Russia angle of the plot. But you know, um, Lisa's a bit worried for her father, as you would be. But he says, "Oh, it's okay, honey. You know, no one's ever sort of got into trouble or been injured or died from a game." And we cut to Homer's dream, and what is he doing, Danny? He's hitting himself with the Rock'em Sock'em robots. Can't they all just get along? What What's great about how this is done is they've kept his hands in frame. And he's, he's causing it himself! <laughs> Something about that extra detail just makes this so much funnier. But they're all about to head off, you know, apart from you know, Homer's got sort of skull bark one more time. Like, oh, here's Earring Boy there. Um, Homer's even pierced his ear himself. You know, this is completely unrelated. I'm still not going to let you have it, boy, so... Bart mopes off, gives him uh, gives him the ear in itself, which um, 
spoilers, folks. That is the um, I can't think of the trope, and I did a course in it, Danny. This isn't a MacGuffin, is it? Um, ah, this I guess this would be a Chekhov's earring. Yes. See, I'm using my course to get good example. Yes. Um, for those that aren't aware, what would you call a Chekhov's earring or a Chekhov's yeah. gun? As it's called? Yeah. Well, the term Chekhov's gun refers to if uh, if a gun is introduced in Act One, it has to be fired by Act Three. So in this case, Bart's earring is an actual plot point given to Homer, so then Homer has to do something useful with the earring by the end. Now, uh, you're, I guess you're more of a film buff than me, and you watch a lot more long-form media than myself. Um, on average, if you can, because you're in the hundreds and thousands now of uh, viewing, but how well or how sort of um, hidden are like your average Chekhov's guns now? Never very well. Because if you can identify something as a Chekhov's gun... Actually, so the best ones done in films would be the ones where you don't actually realise it. Like, even yeah. afterwards, when you, afterwards when you're thinking back on the film. Can you give us any sort of good examples of that? Where you thought, oh, oh wait, yeah, the sword or something. Or uh, oh, the puddle. I don't, I don't think it would qualify as a Chekhov's gun, but what always blows people away is films like Shaun of the Dead how they will give away their entire plot at the beginning of the film. Oh, so yeah. So think of Sean Dead when they're sat at the pub, well, talking about the plans they'll do tomorrow. And we're like, I come back here for a couple of shots. Well, that's obviously where they get the gun. Yeah. Start killing people. And things like that. But I don't know if that would qualify as a Chekhov's gun. Maybe just like a Chekhov's plot. <laughs> Hell, even actually, no. The Winchester gun itself would be a literal Chekhov's gun. Oh, my God, so introduced, yeah. Introduced an F1. Fired by Act 3. Well, we have our, um, I guess, our main celebrity here. He's literally the captain of the ship. Captain Tennille. Um, Rod Steiger. Now, he is a real stalwart in these kind of high-drama, high-budget drama films there. You know, he's a Academy Awards winner himself there. Um, very lauded over actor. What did you think of his portrayal here, Dan? I think the fact that... I, I do like I do like his voice and his delivery. Also it's that. true, but the fact that I didn't even realize that he was uh, a famous person when first listening to it, like I don't think it's a role that specifically required a celebrity for it. Like even down to the um uh the military man from earlier in the episode, the drill sergeant. Oh, so you would have been happy with him just resuming and not even necessarily him resuming, but a, a similar type character. Attention on deck, Captain Tennille wishes to address you. <clears throat> I'm a man of few words. Any questions? Uh, is the poop deck really what I think it is? <laughs> I like the cut of your jib. What's a jib? <laughs> Promote that man. So they're setting off now on the nuclear sub, and um, Steiger says, Ah, you know, you can fill your lungs out here and you can sing yourself the greatest naval theme ever, and. Um, yeah, folks, it's um, In the Navy by uh, YMCA, of course, that, that uh, very typically mean, masculine Navy song. You mean the village people? Oh, what did I say? You said YMCA, the name of oh, the village what am I like? Yeah. I, I don't mean to put disrespect on the name of the village people. You're right, In the Navy, uh, another one of the village people hits there. Now, uh, you know, I still get chuckles from this, Danny, but it's very broad and it's very on the nose here, so it's not... Mm, my yeah, favourite joke in this episode. You can tell when they were writing this episode, they knew they had to put this joke in there somewhere. And it feels like the laziest way they could have done it, of just throwing in a very quick dance number uh, of them just dancing the Navy. And then I would say beautifully animated by um, it is, Homer yes. and all that. So yes, the animation... Well, I don't think Homer is the one that, do, that did the animation himself, but, but yes, the animation is very good. Uh, but then they just kind of end it on uh, showing the actual village people themselves. And just to really nail home what the village people are, what they represent, they throw in Smithers just dancing along. And granted, Smithers looks like he's having a hell of a good time there. Oh, do you get it? Because, um, as my granny would say, he's a big whoopsie. <laughs> oh my god, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're basically nailing home. Oh, get it? Because, you know, Skinner is a closet case there. But, um... Yeah, and then they kill the village people. Yeah. Technically. <laughs> Funny way to end it, I'll give them that. It's uh, tea time, and we're at the captain's table now, and they're settling down for a nice meal, and you can hear the whales around the nuclear sub. We see Homer enter the room, 
And um, the captain asks him, you know, ah, oh, Homer, are you hungry? And it turns out that's Homer. Mm-hmm. That's Homer with the sort of, um, I wouldn't say it's even a gut. How, is he, how would he make that noise? Because it's not quite guttural, it's more like a pine. No, yeah, like, it's... never underestimate a hungry, hungry Homer. Homer sits down, ready to tuck in there. And we get a great, um, I guess you'd call it vaudevillian sort of um, uh, bit back and forth here with the captain saying, Homer, um, you know, what's your quest here? Why have you joined us here? And he says, you know, and he's looking at a big bowl of peas. He goes, he wants peas. Ah, yes, peace. You know, um, we need better men like you who are thinking of peaceful acts. But how do we obtain peace? With a knife. Yes. You know, not the olive branch, but with the bayonet. And yeah, I, I really like that. I think that's a very smart, as old school as it is, I still think it works now. It's very smart. <coughs> I do like the fact that uh, this relationship is entirely positive and the uh, captain has a great uh, a great perspective of Homer, even if it's all entirely wrong. And it's all um, chemically altered because apparently he's got nitrogen bubbles in his brain and yeah. salt water in his veins. So, Well, the salt water in the veins, I think, was just a metaphor. Nitrogen bubbles, that's an actual issue he would have to deal with. But, you know, um, he's taking a real shine to Homer now, so what the hell, for the next five minutes while he's... Checking out the torpedo tubes, he's going to be in charge. And this horrifies, you know, the second in command. But, you know, um, them's the rules, I guess. He goes to the torpedo tube and he goes, Seaman, open that torpedo tube. You'll never get a response talking to my son like that. You gotta poke him with a stick. Well, I don't want to go to school today. All right, Seaman, what's going on here? And it's Barney, and he's asleep at the switch, if you will, and Ah, oh, I was so happy because um, we get to see briefly like Barney's mum. I'm so glad they brought her back for this scene as well. And she, I guess she, she's even got the same voice about you. Hey, you're not going to get through him like that. you got to poke him with a stick. But you know, oh, Tennille, uh, he wants to do it himself there. So a lot of contraband comes shooting out the torpedo. So he goes in and tries to get rid of the rest of the debris there. In the meantime, um, Homer's in the captain's chair, finding it comfy. And Mo is navigating now, and um, he sees a incoming dot, and he asks him, you know, oh, what do we do? You know, and he has to think quick on his feet, which, you know, typically Homer's not quite the best at. So he thinks, not quite what would Jesus do, but what would the captain do? Don't fire the torpedo! Fire the torpedo! And he's away, and the Homer death toll um, counts up yet another notch there. This is easily the best joke in the episode. Oh, okay, so um, I guess I'll include another little sound effect here as well. So for you, this is your favourite joke and line of the episode. Absolutely. Uh, as soon as, as uh, the captain hits the other ship, their reaction's perfect. Instantly, he, they take it 100% seriously. They know they've been hit by an officer, threatened to take their own officer out and retaliate. Let me a torpedo. Yeah, it's just the best scene in the episode. to collision. We need a decision. Mm. What would the captain say in my spot? Don't fire the torpedoes! Fire the torpedoes! We've been hit by an officer! They're going to fire on us. We'll respond in kind. Fire! Not me, a torpedo! But it's getting really shaky now, you know, the other ship retaliates back and, um... Yeah, as I've said before, I just love the animation. It's very real. I find the scenes in the submarine are very real because as much as it's fiction and comedy and you know they're going to get out of it, there's still like the feeling of entrapment. I guess like you get in the good submarine films like your Das Boot and your Hunt Fred October and you get the shadows of the warning lights on Homer's face there and a lot of the angles they use. I really enjoyed the look of this, Danny. Yeah, they do try to create a bit of a claustrophobic atmosphere by showing like a minimal amount of the actual submarine. And there are quite a lot of close-up shots here. A lot of low angles as well, now that we're going through it. Yeah, we're just having a little scan through um, on our streaming device here. And there's a lot of low angles, and um, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, like I said, a lot of the shadow of the lights on uh, Mr. Moe's face there. So a homo, you know... He's got to have a stiff upper lip and get his crew through this tough time. So, Mr. Moe, steady as she goes. But Moe's not hiding his feelings. I respect this Moe. I wish I could be like this Moe at work. You know, ah, you dummy. What a big dummy. Have you ever thought of um, 
have been as brazen as Mo at home work. Oh, many times I would have liked to, especially with customers. Never done it, actually, because that would not result well. Because not everyone has a boss like Homer, and not everyone can be a Mo. This is one of those things where I say, like, like it's a good thing that Mo, uh, that a Mo is used well. Like, Mo and Barney are used well, apart from a poo. Because these are type of, of roles and lines that only they could deliver. Yeah, like a poo would never out loud just call Homer a big dummy, but Mo would. So they verge on fourth, um, you know, Captain Homer wants an update, you know, what is out, Danny? Sonar out, navigation out, radio out. Oh, uh, enough about what's out, what's in? Mocha lattes and David Schwimmer. Yes, uh, I guess he is uh, pretty in an ugly sort of way. I don't really like David Schwimmer. Yeah, it's such an unnecessary insult. He has nothing to do with submarines. No, I mean, I'm, uh, I don't mind friends. It's not my cup of tea, but I think he does a good job in that. And for me, what really did it, um, I was a big fan of the American, you know, crime trials, uh, the OJ one. Ah, yes. The, he plays yeah, Robert Amer- Kardashian, and I think he does a grand job in that. But yeah. um, what, what do you think of this, you know, right takedown <laughs> Schwimmer here? It's, where did it come from? Was it justified? Yeah, there, there is no other reference to David Schwimmer's career in this episode. They just decided to make fun of the fact that they call him ugly, handsome in an ugly sort of way. It's just rude. Well, I mean, um, and obviously it's been a thing for years now, but problematic friends is such a trend now. And obviously Ross isn't uh, the... I mean, I, guess he's, I don't know, he's a monster, isn't he? I don't yes, know Ross is easily the worst character in Friends. But is that, is Schwimmer, because he's, I think he's a very good actor, does his portrayal help push the fact he's a monster, or? Oh, no, like, it's not well, David Schwimmer's fault. It's entirely with how, how Ross is written as a character. He's just a horrible boyfriend and a horrible friend. David Schwimmer, he's, he's fine, they're all. Nobody has a problem with him as a person, as far as I'm aware. I mean, she goes on for five pages about, about how I was unfaithful to her. We were on a break! <laughs> Homer's busy trying to write a plan there. I don't know if you're a Peep Show fan, Danny, but it reminds me a lot of um, Jeremy trying to get uh, the contract for Honda and um, Gog's saying, you know, what I want is something, not quite like the Jaws thing, but something, you know, when people hear it, they go, yeah. And he begins to fake write, and instead of fake writing, Homer's drawing his own little sort of sea-themed uh, cartoon there with him in a submarine about to get eaten by a shark. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I guess this is our, this is our final guess we're getting on to now, Danny. Um, I don't think it's actually George Takei 